Hello, my friends. This is Pastor Christopher Alam at home in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I trust you and your household are doing well. Yesterday, we started a new subject, and that is God's grace and man's faith, in which we are talking about the subject of grace, and then we'll go on to the subject of faith. So we'll cover both these subjects. And, uh, and then uh, yesterday, I began to talk about... Uh, like the background about the meaning of grace, how God came with grace, and also talked about what grace is and what grace isn't, and got that out of the way. And today I want to talk to you, to, I want to give you a summary of the law and grace. And so uh, we're going to talk about different kinds of grace. And the first kind of grace, you know, there's different aspects of grace. And, and by that I mean there's a mercy or a saving grace, there's a grace for salvation. Then there's a grace for life. Then there's grace for ministry. Paul had grace for apostleship. So we're going to go to study the different facets of grace. And one thing I'm going to do, I don't want to go on for weeks on the subject because there's no end, no end to what one can say. But I want to give you the very basic so you have a fundamental understanding of what the Bible says about the subject of grace. So now when we're talking about mercy or saving grace, uh, most people, they bundle the whole thing of grace into one. And what they're actually talking about is mercy. But that's only one kind of grace. That is unmerited favor and mercy when all our sins are forgiven and, uh, you know, and we are made righteous with God. But that is, that is foundational. That is saving grace. That is the mercy of God. And then we'll build on that and talk about those other things. But I want to begin with this scripture when we talk about saving grace and the mercy of God is 2 Corinthians 5.21. And this is the foundation of it all, where it says, For he has made him sin to, uh, he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Wow, this is powerful. For God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we may become the righteousness of God in him. That means that Jesus who was without sin, God put him, you know, put our sins upon him. When Jesus was upon the cross, Jesus who knew no sin, he became sin for our sake so that we may become the righteousness of God in him. In other words, when Jesus was upon the cross, he became like us so that we may become like him. Now it says that so that we may be made the righteousness of God in him. And another translation says, so that we may become the righteousness of God. So uh, this is, of course, it's not earned righteousness, but it's imputed righteousness. We must understand the difference that because this righteousness that God gives to us isn't a result of our own good works, but it is a result of God's mercy. But its effect and its power is still the same. It is like a hundred dollar bill. Like uh, if you worked all day as, as a laborer and you sweated and you, you know, you work very, 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 very hard and your employer gives you a hundred dollars. And then when you come out of uh, the factory where you're working with those hundred dollars, that hundred dollar bill in your hand, I give you a hundred dollar as a gift. Now, you know, humanly speaking, that hundred dollars that you worked for may be worth more than this hundred dollars that you got as a gift. But if you go to a bank teller and ask them, what is the difference between these two hundred dollars? They'll tell you that 
they are exactly the same. They have the same purchasing power. They have the same buying power. So the gift of righteousness is as powerful, as effective, as real as righteousness that one could have earned by himself if one could. And we'll talk more about that. So I want you to understand that, that just because this righteousness is given to us or imputed to us, it doesn't make it worthless. And that's why, uh, you know, like Paul, can you imagine Paul stood, was at the scene when Stephen was stoned to death. And yet later on, because of the righteousness that was imparted to him, he says, uh, he says, uh, I have never done any man any harm. Had he? Well, he had, if you look at him in the flesh. But if you look at it in the spirit, he was made righteous with God. And the Bible says, if any man is in Christ Jesus, he's a new creation. All things have passed away and all things have become new. So to fully enjoy and to understand the power of the righteousness of God, we must have developed this mindset that I have been made righteous, not because of my own good deeds, but because of what Jesus has done for me. Instead of going around and using cliches like, well, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm glad I'm just going to make it to heaven. But other than that, I'm a nobody. Don't say that because when you say that, you, you are dragging the righteousness, that blood-bought righteousness that cost Jesus so much to give to you. You are making it as something common and profane and of no value. Don't do that. If you, are, if you and I have been made the righteousness of God in Christ, we are the righteousness of God in Christ because God has declared us so. Anyway, so... The foundation for saving, saving grace is this, uh, that in, and the mercy of God upon our lives is this, that Jesus, who knew no sin, was made sin for us. Jesus, who was, you know, without sin, he was put upon the cross, and upon the cross, our sins were put upon us. He actually not just bore our sins, but he actually became us. He became us. We were sinners. He, he was made sin for our sake. And he went through that because he loved us. He wanted to save us so that we, that we may be made the righteousness of God in him. Now, let me read to you from Romans chapter 3, uh, verses 19 to 28. And I will stop a few times, but this is a key uh, scripture. It says, now we know that what things soever the law saith, is saith to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, this is verse 20, listen to this. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So what he's saying is that through the works of the law, this how Paul, this apostle, the apostle Paul, he's summing up the power of the law. He says that through the works of the law, nobody can be justified in God's sight because all that the law does is makes you aware of how miserable you are without God. That's what it is. So through the works of the law shall no man be justified. That means that now the law of God is holy and perfect. It is without doubt. The law of God is holy. It's perfect. The law reveals to us the righteousness of God. And the, the you know, if you look at the backdrop to this verse, actually it was like this. I'm paraphrasing on my own. What God said to Israel, he gave them the law. He said, okay, fine. If you keep this law, um, if you keep this law, then um, you, when you stand before me, I'll declare you righteous because this law shows my holiness and my who I am. And so if you can keep the law, 
that means you are at the same level. You are at the same level as I am, and I will declare you, declare you righteous even as I am righteous. So then he gave them all these rules and regulations they had to follow. But the problem was this, that although the law is perfect, and, uh, but it cannot be fulfilled by human beings because we have an inbuilt weakness that is called sin. Sin is an inbuilt weakness that is built inside of us and it is a part of us and there's no way of getting around it. So asking someone to fulfill the law, uh, it is self-defeating, not because there's anything wrong with the law, but there's something wrong with the people who, because they don't have the strength to keep the law. You know, it's like saying this, that if you're a good swimmer, you can swim across the Atlantic, you can swim uh, across the Atlantic to Europe. So how do I do this? Well, just get into the water, keep on moving your arms and legs, and, uh, and you'll make it. But is it possible? No. Well, in theory, yes, if you keep on moving your arms and legs, you can make it, but you can keep on moving your arms and legs, but you'll run out of strength and, and soon you're going to drown. And that's the way it is. So now the guy who's a, a very good swimmer, he might make a few miles and those are really, really, really good Olympic champions. He might go 20 miles, but ultimately even the best swimmer would drown because the goal that is in front of you is is too much for anyone to attain. Doesn't matter how strong, how good a swimmer it is. So uh, that is it with the law of God. Doesn't matter how great a person you are uh, or how, how um, pure you are in your words and thoughts and actions and how you've trained yourself, you ultimately end up breaking the law because no man's spiritual or mental or emotional or physical cap capacity can match the law of God. That means that it's the inbuilt weakness, the inherent weakness of man called sin that makes it impossible for man to keep the law of God, even if his intentions are the best. So that's why Paul came to this conclusion. He says, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But he said, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So then he comes with this, this thing that is really astounding. He says, but now in our time, God is revealing his righteousness to us. That means the righteousness of God is available to us bypassing the law. What he's saying is that there was a time, the only way you could attain the righteousness of God was by keeping the law. But now God has made it possible for men to attain righteousness without keeping the law. In fact, this path, this new path that God has created for man to uh, attain to righteousness is witnessed to by the law and the prophets. And that is that, that means what he's actually saying, that even in the Old Testament, if you read the, the, the writings of the prophets, you will see the gospel hidden in there. That's what he's saying, that the gospel is hidden in there. So he says, this is nothing new that I'm saying. It was witnessed to by the law and the prophets. So in the law and the prophets, you'll find the, uh, the, 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 you know, the testimony of the gospel. So then he's saying, uh, even the righteousness of God, which is by the faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference for all have sinned and have come short of the glory of God. So it means that this, this righteousness is given to all, is given to us through Jesus, by faith in Jesus, unto all that believe, 
Why? That means everyone qualifies to get it. You know, like when you want to comp compete in the Olympics, they have trials and not everyone makes it, you know. Uh, whenever, you know, you, you, you look for a job and then got this interview, you have 50 people looking for the job and only a couple of people will make it. Not everyone makes it, but in this case, everyone will make it. Why? Because all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. So the only qualification you need uh, to receive this righteousness is to be a sinner. That, that is interesting, you know. And now, but here's this interesting thing that, um, that this righteousness is now available to us without the law. So there's two ways you can get righteousness. One is through the law, keeping the law and by being a perfect human being, which is virtually impossible, practically impossible. The other way is, is uh, this other track, which is actually grace by faith in Jesus, because Jesus died for you and he fulfilled the law for you and me. And he bore the sins, our sins, your sins, my sins, and died upon the cross. So by faith in him, because we have sinned, and we have fallen short of the glory of God, and we don't qualify to, to attain the righteousness of God because of our own good works, we can get the righteousness of God this way. Now, let me give you a worldly example. Uh, you know, in, in Singapore, you've got the raffles. I, they keep on changing the names of those hotels, but uh, there, there are these two hotels next to each other. Uh, I think it's Raffles something, you know, Raffles Plaza or something. And there, they've got a, uh, they, they, they got a restaurant on the 73rd floor on a, on a tower. It's called the Compass Rose. In fact, when you get up there on the Compass Rose, they have a high tea there and you can, you can see uh, three countries where you see Singapore, you see Indonesia, you see Malaysia, you see uh, the Straits of Malacca and you see the other sea on the other side. So it's an amazing view. So everybody wants to go up there and see, you know, the sights from the Compass Rose. Now, there's two ways to go up to the Compass Rose. And when you go to the, the bottom, you know, where the elevator is. So first you will see uh, the lift or the elevator to the Compass Rose. It's right there. And then a few steps away, there's another door. It says the stairs to the Compass Rose. So the stairs and the elevator take you to the same place. The stairs, you've got to work for it. It's 73 floors of climbing, but the elevator it takes you up to the exact same place. It takes not very fast. Actually, when you cross the 40th floor, it moves so fast, you can actually hear your own ears pop. But uh, the interesting thing is that I've always seen a line in front of the elevator, but I've never seen a line in front of the stairs. Why? Because people are smart. Why take the stairs when there is an elevator available? And I. I could try to take the elevator, I could make a few floors, but I wouldn't be able to make it all the way up. But here's the thing, that elevator is grace. Those stairs are the law. They both take you to the same place. Uh, but one is without your own effort, it is the elevator or God's grace that carries you up there. The other is the steps and you go up there by your own effort. So that's the difference. But once you're up there, it doesn't really matter how you got there. The important thing is that you are up there. And that's the difference between the law and grace. And so uh, by, the, by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight because it is impossible. What Paul is saying that he was a Pharisee, he was a Jew, he knew the law backwards and forwards. 
and he knew that nobody, nobody could ever please God or be acceptable to God by fulfilling the law because the only thing the law did was to make you aware of how miserable, how, what a miserable sinner you were. But he said, but now there's this new way of righteousness that has been given to us. It has been made offer to us and that is the grace of God. That all you have to do is to put your faith in Jesus who died for us upon the cross and bore our sins. And when we accept him and receive him, we are given the righteousness of God. And God treats us, which means that God treats us like those who have never sinned, who are perfect and holy in his sight. Isn't that amazing? That is the power of God's grace. So it says, uh, it says, verse 25, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness that he might be just and this justifier of him which believes in Jesus. So is that God through this, through this impartation of righteousness to you and me, he says that God declares that he is righteous and that he is just because he justifies him who has faith in Jesus. God puts such value upon the blood of Jesus. God puts such a premium and such a high value on the blood of Jesus and the sacrifice that his son made upon the cross that anyone who looks at this Jesus and puts his faith on him, God instantly makes him righteous and perfect and holy and treats him like he has never sinned before. So then it says, uh, let's uh, say verse 28. So therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. What he's saying is that, so our conclusion is this, that a man is justified, is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Faith in what? Faith in Jesus. So faith in Jesus, it totally bypasses the law and, and you are justified before God. And that is what grace is. That is saving faith. Now, Romans 10, 4 says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Now, this is interesting because that means that when <coughs> we believe in Jesus and uh, we receive righteousness from him, that is when the, our relationship to the law ends, to the law of Moses, that we no longer have to fulfill the law to be accepted by God. Now, so what is the what is place does the law have in our lives? Well, uh, the law, look, the Bible, the Old Testament is still the word of God and the law is not obsolete in that sense. The only thing is that the law is no longer our means of salvation. Jesus Christ is our law of salvation, but the law of God still continues to shine as a beacon, as a lighthouse to a ship in the stormy sea. And it, uh, it still shows us God's righteousness. That's the place of the law in our lives. Because if you have any, anything uh, that you wonder about, you know, there's certain kind of sexual relationships, and other things that the world says is okay, but the Bible doesn't say it's okay. And sometimes I heard one pastor, he said, yeah, but Jesus never talked about it. Jesus never said, so how can we say it's wrong? And I agree, there are certain things Jesus didn't talk about, but Jesus did uphold the law. He says, he said, I came to uphold the law. So, and so when Jesus upheld the law, everything that is in the law 
that is written in the law, even if he directly didn't talk about it, he upheld it. So it still stands for us. So anything that the Bible says, I mean, the Old Testament or the law of Moses says is wrong, is still wrong for us because that law, Jesus upheld it. That means Jesus endorsed it, even though he did not specifically address that kind of issue. The very fact that he upheld the law means that he said that because he upheld that law, we should upheld as, upheld, uphold that too as followers of Jesus Christ. So, uh, so that is, but our personal relationship with the law as being the justifier of sinners, that doesn't exist anymore. And so Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. That means as far as the attainment of acceptance by God and righteousness is concerned, Christ is the end of the law. He has fulfilled the law. He has kept the law. And Ephesians, uh, sorry, in the book of Colossians, uh, he even says that, that it even says that, 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 that he nailed the law, those ordinances that were against us, he's nailed it to the cross. So the law is no longer, we are no longer beholden to it or bound to it in the sense that we have to keep the law of Moses in order to be accepted by God. But the fact is that because we are already accepted by God, in the you know through Christ and when we walk in Christ when we walk with Jesus we'll find and we walk in love and because Jesus talked about a new law and that law is that we shall love the Lord our God with all our hearts all our all our strength all our minds all our strength and we shall love our neighbors ourselves and when we fulfill that we see the law fulfilled in us that's what it is so the law of Moses is still of God but uh, and we look at it as God's standard of righteousness, as God's declaration of what is acceptable, what kind of human conduct is acceptable and unacceptable to it. It's all there. And although we don't live to fulfill the law, to be accepted by God, but because we are accepted by God and we love Jesus and our zeal and our passion is to live close to him and to love God with all our hearts and love our fellow man, we will find the law being fulfilled in our lives. But it is because of Jesus and through Jesus and the price that he paid for us at the cross of Calvary that we are accepted by God. So Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone that believes. Romans 5 verses 1 and 2. It says, therefore being justified by faith. That means we have already been justified by faith. We have been forgiving, forgiven. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. Now that's the other thing you have to you have to remind yourself all the time that because of what Jesus has done, because we are justified, uh, you know, by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus. God, the Bible says, if God be for us, who can be against us? God is not against you and me. He is not working against you and me. He has not turned his backs on you and me. He is for us. He's working for us. Hallelujah. So remember that. So uh, we have peace with God. We have total peace with God. And it says, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That means that by faith, we have access to this grace where we stand. So in other words, there's this place of grace. A grace is a place. Grace is 
is a place where we can stand. And when we stand, we, it's a place of hope and glory where all things are ours. There are, there's an open heaven. And the Father says, whatsoever you ask in the name of Jesus, I shall give it to you. It's a wonderful place. It's a place of life. It's a place of miracles. It's a place of blessings. And that place, we have access to this grace, this wonderful grace of God. Hallelujah. It is given to us by faith. Anyway, so I, I will end with you uh, right here at this place. And tomorrow uh, we are going to continue from the book of Romans, uh, the, the fifth chapter. We're talking about, uh, about we, we will continue to talk about this impartation of grace and of righteousness, how, how God has made of right, us righteous. It's not just that God imputes righteousness in the sense that well, we are not really righteous, but he treats us as if we were. No, he has made us righteous. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. All things are passed away and all things have become new. That is the power of what Jesus did for us upon the cross. So actually, when you, when you talk about grace, we're not really talking about grace. Talking about grace is actually talking about Jesus and it's understanding the, uh, you know, this wonderful salvation that God has given to us through Jesus Christ. But let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for my brothers and my sisters who can hear the sound of my voice. I ask you, Father, to touch them and bless them, bless their families and their homes. Lord, you said you'd bless our food and our water and turn every sickness away from us. Bless their homes and I curse every sickness, disease, infirmity in Jesus' name. I pray, Father, that you use them to bless other people, Father, and all the seed that they have sown Father, I ask you to bless them back 30, 60, 100 fold. Bless them, Father. Let your mercy be upon them and cause them to bear much fruit. In the name of Jesus, God bless you all.